You're listening to How to Succeed in Evil, Crazy Psycho Murder Tree. Chapter 15, The Job Interview. The next morning, Topper rolled off his mattress and onto the floor, which also served as his box spring. Squeezed in between his makeshift bed and the kitchenette of his studio apartment was a children's table that he had picked up at a second-hand shop. As he had never brought anyone back to his place, he saw no embarrassment in being comfortable. In the center of the table was Edwin Windsor's card. He stared at it for a long time. It was, of course, ridiculous. Who was this tall man, and how could he possibly have anything that Topper wanted to do? Perhaps he had some kind of fetish for short people. Topper couldn't understand why they could never turn out to be 5'11 supermodels. They always turned out to be pedophiles, settling for a substitute for a fetish that was illegal, immoral, and abhorrent to almost everyone. Topper read the card out loud. Edwin Windsor, evil efficiency consultant. What could that possibly mean? What kind of insanity was this? But really, what other choice did he have? He was the underdog in every way, except that he was neither huggable or lovable. So he put on his finest only suit and cuffed the suit pants back up his trouser legs so they wouldn't drag on the ground. To make his shoes more presentable, he swiped them back and forth across the mattress. Then he grabbed his briefcase, now empty for he had no more work, and set out. The address on the card was not in the city proper, but on the other side of the river. From his first impression of the man, Topper would have bet that Edwin had money, but this office location would suggest otherwise. And what was the man's business that he could so coolly applaud the death and mayhem that had destroyed the courtroom? Sure, technically Topper had won the argument, but in every other dimension, legal, human, financial, moral, horticultural, the trial had been a disaster. Topper shrugged, tucked the card into his breast pocket, and went down to hail a cab. Edwin Windsor sat behind a large table that he used as a desk. His perfectly tailored suit jacket was unbuttoned, and he leaned forward slightly, elbows on the table, his long index fingers steepled before his lips. On the surface of the desk, there was no phone or computer or papers. Across the desk from him was unstoppable, looking like he had just eaten the Emperor Caligula for lunch. He was dressed in something like a ringleader's uniform that had been rendered in spandex. Across his chest was a logo of bull's horns breaking through a wall. He had sprawled across a chair with a look of disgust on his chiseled face. You gotta be out of your mind, Windsor. You know who you're talking to? You know who I am. I'm unstoppable. I don't work for pennies on the dollar. I'm not suggesting that you can't be stopped. What I'm suggesting is that it's very hard for you to get started. And when you do manage to overcome your native inertia, you do so on the wrong track. I don't even know what those fancy words mean. Let me give you the best business advice I know. When you're good at something, never do it for free. Yes, of course. And this pays handsomely and is cash flow after all. What I need with money? I need money, I'll just run into a bank, through the wall, through the tellers, into the vault, because I'm... Edwin sighed, for he knew what was coming next. Unstoppable. So you will not participate in this enterprise. 
Demolition? Nah, man, it's beneath me. Besides, you said I'm the only guy on earth can do this gig, which means I hold out for more. I mean, ain't you supposed to know that, Windsor? Right? You're the business genius here. <clears throat> right? You're the business genius here. I mean, that's what you get paid for. There is only one of you that is true, but there are always complimentary goods and services. Yeah, but I'm unstoppable, Edwin Windsor said. I am not in the habit of being refused. That's good for you. Gonna be an opportunity to learn new things. If you're not strong, you gotta constantly be staying fresh. I mean, must be exhausting. Me, I I'm powerful. I do what I want. Nobody has that much power. Unstoppable heaved his bulk up out of the chair. You got no other option, Windsor. You come crawling back, cause I don't negotiate from weakness. Cause I'm strong like a bull. You don't negotiate at all, said Edwin. Yeah, that's right. Don't get up. I'll show myself out. And then he smirked at Edwin and walked through the wall of his office into the lobby. Behind the reception desk, an older woman named Agnes sat marshalling paperwork. She was, perhaps sixty, with iron-gray hair, a strong jaw, and piercing eyes which were currently focused through reading spectacles that were connected to a cord hung around her neck. When the wall of the lobby exploded and Unstoppable burst through, she did not look up. She ran her finger across a sponge in a small dish of water and collated another copy of the contract she was working on. Unstoppable walked through the lobby, dragging bits of wreckage behind him, and pressed the elevator button. When the elevator arrived, he squeezed his bulk into the small compartment and said, See ya, Agnes. Without looking up, Agnes answered, It is far too late for manners now, Clarence. I'm sorry, he just make me so angry. Agnes looked up at him across the top of her glasses. And what of me, Clarence? Who do you think has to clean up this mess? Looking cramped and chagrined, he said, I'm sorry, Agnes, as the doors closed and the elevator took him downstairs. Edwin emerged into the lobby. He brushed a fleck of drywall from his shoulder, buttoned his suit coat, and then said, Place the cost of repairs on Unstoppable's next invoice. Agnes said, Does he strike you as the kind of client who pays invoices? Do I strike you as the sort of man who allows a debt to go uncollected? Ah, oh, the immovable post, struck by the unstop... Edwin stopped her by holding up a hand. Please, I've heard that word enough today. Topper arrived at 2212 Miller Street and found it occupied by a nondescript beige office building. Its low windows seemed to look out across the river longingly, as if this building dreamed of one day growing up into a skyscraper and moving to the city. It was as much a waste product as it was an edifice. It was a styrofoam cup of a structure, a banker's box of an office building, cheap, disposable, and designed to be knocked down and replaced within the next ten years. As Topper got out of the cab and started towards the lobby, the glass doors at the front of the building exploded. A large, grotesque man brushed glass and bits of metal from his shoulders as if he was removing dandruff. The man ignored the stupefied look on Topper's face and said, Lovely day, isn't it? Topper watched him turn and walk down the sidewalk. Then he stepped gingerly through the twisted metal and glass of the atrium and looked for a directory. He saw that Windsor and Associates was on the fifth floor. That reassured him a little bit. Perhaps it wasn't the nicest part of town, but at least it was the top floor of the building. 
What little good feeling he had was quickly dispelled when he saw the out-of-order sign on both of the elevators. Topper was just short enough that taking the steps in a normal way was not at all comfortable. So it was one foot and another on each step for five flights. He trudged grimly, stopping at the third floor to catch his breath. His briefcase, sized for a normal human, crashed into each step as he put one foot up and then the other. One foot and then the other. By the time he had reached the fifth floor, he was exhausted and sweaty. The thin leather had peeled away from the battered corner of his briefcase, exposing the fiberboard underneath. He saw the words Windsor and Associates etched into a pair of double glass doors, and then he noticed a hole in the wall right beside the glass doors. He could not see any associates through either of the doors or the hole, so he went in through the doors and found an older woman sitting at a reception desk in the lobby. In the far wall was a man-sized hole. He looked at his watch, with a pang of awareness that it was a child's watch, and saw that it was 10.03. When the glass door clicked shut behind him, the woman looked up from her work, right over Topper, and raised an inquisitive eyebrow at the door, as if it had moved on its own. Then she returned to her paperwork. Topper didn't know what to do. It wasn't as if she couldn't see him. He was standing in the middle of the lobby. He stared at her in disbelief, hoping that the pressure of his gaze would disturb her. She was an elegant older woman who had let her hair go unabashedly to white. She wore a simple yet expensive dress, and there was a sharp intelligence about her eyes as she sorted papers and made notes. She kept everything in crisp piles and straight lines as she worked. Topper cleared his throat. The woman looked up again, peering out over her glasses as if the entire new world was inherently suspect. She carefully set her pen down, just so, and then said, I did not see you down there, with a crisp English accent and no implication of an apology. I'm here to see Mr. Windsor, the tall guy. He's expecting me. I'm Topper Haggleblatt. Expectations are so often disappointing, aren't they? My name is Agnes, but you may call me ma'am. Please, have a seat. I will inform Mr. Windsor of your arrival. Excuse me? said Topper. Yes, anywhere you like. Plenty of space, especially for you, she said as she walked into the back. Topper looked around as if something hanging on the wall might explain such rude and unusual treatment. And then he noticed that behind the hole in the wall on the far side of the lobby, there was another wall with another hole. What had happened here? Topper walked to the nearest chair and jumped up into it, eager to take a load off his feet, which were still aching from the stairs. He expected to land on the upholstery, but he landed on something warm, person-sized, and rather squishy that he could not see. That something yelped and said, "'Excuse me, there's someone sitting here!' Topper jumped backwards. He squinted at the chair and could make out the barest outline of a person. I "'I'm sorry, I couldn't see you sitting there.' "'Of course you didn't. That's my power.' And with that, the shape faded into existence." Topper could see that the man's skin and his skin-tight shirt and shorts shifted color and pattern to match the chair perfectly, and now he was revealed as a pudgy, pasty, middle-aged man who had no business wearing skin-tight clothes of any kind. I'm Dr. Cuttlefish, and I have all the powers and abilities of the mysterious and intelligent cuttlefish with, with none of the tentacles. Who are you? What's your superpower? I don't have any... No, wait. Don't tell me. Your power is to grow big when you get angry, like really big, and you wreak havoc and devastation. No, I'm short all the time. 
You don't have any powers? I mean, are you sure? Seems like everybody's getting them these days. Not me, said Topper. Not unless you count being able to only use the lower half of a Dutch door as a superpower. I am a lawyer, though. My name is Topper. Dr. Cuttlefish rippled a bright sequence of colors across his body and said, Well, if you don't have any powers, I mean, if you're just an ordinary bad guy, why, why is Mr. Windsor taking you on as a client? He doesn't take just anybody, you know, only the very powerful and very special. Oh, really? Is that what he tells you? That you're special because you can imitate furniture? Dr. Cuttlefish said, I'll have you know that Mr. Windsor has a special mission for me, something only I can do. Then he was silent, opening and closing his mouth repeatedly as if he was forcing water over a set of internal gills. As Topper watched him, his skin color began to transform back to the color of the chair he was sitting on. Mr. Dr. Cuttlefish, said Agnes from the doorway, Mr. Windsor will see you now. Dr. Cuttlefish went fully invisible and said, It's just Dr. Cuttlefish. You are, regrettably, free to choose whatever name you like, but you are not in command of etiquette and honorifics. You tell me your name is Dr. Cuttlefish very well, but as you do not have an actual medical degree, custom, protocol, and basic politeness, however strained they may be in these dark times, require that I address you as Mr. plus whatever nom de guerre you happen to choose. I'm frightened, said the indistinct spot on the chair. There is no reason for you to be frightened, said the woman in a tone that became soothing so quickly that it surprised Topper. You are here by invitation, and as far as you know, you are among friends. It doesn't feel that way, said the spot on the chair. You will not be late for your appointment. Mr. Dr. Cuttlefish leapt to his feet, ruining the illusion of his camouflage and leaving a small pool of brown inky liquid where he had been sitting. "'Enough foolishness! Mr. Windsor awaits!' Agnes snapped, now sounding like a drill sergeant. Seeking escape, Mr. Dr. Cuttlefish fled from the lobby, almost inadvertently hurrying towards his appointment. Topper started to laugh, but was cut short when the severe woman asked, "'You do not happen to be, by any happy accident, a dry cleaner?' No. An expert on carpet stain removal uniquely suited for your job because of your unusual height? No, said Topper. I'm here because... The woman cut Topper off before he could finish. Ah, oh, well, another call to make. As she walked back towards the inner office, Topper said, I have an appointment. It's under town. I mean, Topper. The woman turned her brilliant blue eyes upon Topper once again, giving him the feeling that she used her glasses less for reading and more as a precision targeting instrument. I know exactly who you are, and I do not approve. Now wait here quietly and be certain not to put your foreshortened legs or feet on any of Mr. Windsor's furniture. And with that, the woman turned on her heel and left the waiting room. Topper sat there by himself, wondering if the sweaty fear smell Mr. Dr. Cuttlefish had left behind was actually what Cuttlefish smelled like, or if he just needed a shower. After a few minutes, Topper said, Screw that old broad, and extended his feet to put them up on the low glass coffee table. But even when he slouched, they fell short by a good six inches. So he sighed, lowered his legs, and waited.